episode 148 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. My name is Max Weldon. I'm a corporate pilot and content creator on YouTube. AV Nation, welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is a special one. I feel like I say that every single week. Uh, if I keep saying that anymore, you might not believe me. But after 148 episodes, you know, they're all special. So I'm just going to keep saying that. But today, it really is a cool episode. I'm talking with my buddy, Citation Max. As you find out in this episode, we have had plans of doing this in the actual airplane. But coronavirus has made that not possible for right now. We actually had some plans. I think it was earlier this year. Uh, we had some downtime either in the same city or I was going to go out there. I can't really remember the logistics to it. But nonetheless, we got the podcast done. We are now doing it over audio with hopes to do it video one day. So if you like that, go ahead and comment on my Instagram post and say you'd love to see the video because I think Navy Nation, I'm excited to have Max on. Max has a great story. He is pretty much doing what everyone loves to do, fly single pilot in their own jet all over the country and uh, to some really cool islands. So it's really cool to hear his story. I hope you really enjoy this. Uh, if you do enjoy this, please leave us a review. We are so close to 600 reviews. Uh, it mean the world to me if we get there before the end of the year. Also, follow us on Instagram. That's where we are the most active. And if you want to communicate with us, the best chance is to DM me, comment, follow, like, whatever you do on Instagram. Send it that way. Navy Nation, I want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here's Citation Max. Max, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. What's up, Justin? Thanks for having me on, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm pumped to do this, man. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. I know we really talked about trying to get a in-flight podcast, which we could still do one day, but uh, COVID has kind of ruined any of that for, for the foreseeable future. But uh, this is the next best thing, just getting you on the podcast and sharing your story. Yeah, that will have to be part two. That'll have to be the next one. Absolutely. For sure. right? When you guys buy yeah. a latitude and I can show you how to fly it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll see. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, I want to go ahead and get started. I am very interested to hear kind of the backstory of Max and uh, the whole flying and just to learn more about the situation that you got going on. So let's start first with just you. Uh, where are you from? Uh, I know you're, you were born in London or were you born in the States and moved to London. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in London. My my dad's English and my mom uh, is American. They met there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I grew up in London, moved to New York when I was uh, nine because my dad was a big believer in that his son had to have an American education and how you know he needs to stop playing cricket and all these silly English sports, needs to play basketball and be a football player. And my mom quickly said no to being a football player, but basketball she said okay to. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I moved to, uh, to New York when I was nine and, uh, kind of, you know, just had kind of the usual American kind of high school experience and which was, which was cool. And then, uh, kind of going into to college and stuff, I kind of was that usual, like, you know, 18 year old kid that didn't really know what to do. Right. Do I do like a, you know, kind of a, a poli sci degree, you know, it, it was, I was kind of that situation, right. Cause I didn't, you know, kind of graduating high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to to do, right? I knew that, you know, I had this one kind of huge passion of mine that was obviously flying in, in aviation because it's been something with me since day one. Like it's just, uh, I mean, I remember vividly, uh, we used to live underneath the, the, the arrival path to Heathrow in London. 
And I remember I used to sit out in the garden, like kicking the soccer ball around or football, probably English people are going to get mad at me now for saying that. But anyway, um, and I remember watching just planes flying over. I mean, from like my mom has pictures of me from like a little kid, just like staring at the sky, watching, you know, British Airways 747s coming in and triple sevens and all, all sorts of cool stuff. And uh, it was kind of like, that's what kind of started it for me. Um, my, my dad always lives, he's lived on an airplane since I was zero. Um, and that's kind of always been our kind of bond, our kind of that one thing that we kind of would talk about, you know, the seating configuration on a triple seven and what seats are best and what engines and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of how it kind of all started and how then I kind of, um, you know, had got to then New York in high school and then realized like, you know, okay, I'm 18. I do not want to really go to NYU, even though I was there my freshman year doing, you know, a poli sci degree. Um, and I was like, you know, I need to give this a chance. I just, I just have to, if, if it crashes and burns, you know what, I, 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 I've done it. I've tried, I can say to everyone I've tried. Um, and so that's kind of when I started the the process of looking for, for flight schools. And that turned into a, a whole thing. Cause my, uh, my mom is, uh, she was not incredibly happy about some of the flight schools that, uh, we went to go check out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was, that's, that's, yeah. So it, it turned into a whole thing, but that's kind of how I got to America, how I got to New York and kind of how I started to progress into, into kind of starting to look at flight training. So did you never really think about going to go fly at all when you were in high school or, uh, just go check out at the airports? It was not until you were at NYU and you're like, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> You know, pretty much. So I've flight sim since I was like 10 years old. Um, I've been like an avid flight simmer, uh, always had like, you know, my yoke, my throttles, everything, virtual air traffic control. Um, I, I mean, listening to live ATC, like I knew all the the programs and all the stuff that, you know, that I could listen and kind of feel like I was a part of it, but never did I really think like, I'm going to become a pilot. Like I'm going to give this a shot, even though it's been a passion of mine since I was again, zero. I just never thought it could really be a thing. I just thought it was too hard or I wasn't smart enough or it's just to be a pilot, right? It's kind of that just like, you know, you know, that whole mentality of like, it just is so hard. Um, and that's kind of where I got stuck in. So, yeah. That's so funny because clearly you had the drive, the want. It sounds like aviation still consumed you, but you still in your mind kind of had that thought process that I'm not good enough for this. I can't do this. I have to be good at math. I have to do this or whatever. But as everyone has found out that is a pilot, that is not necessarily the case. I mean, there are some people that fly that aren't the most brilliant people in the world. <laughs> it's like yeah, literally anyone can do this. Can point me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I was, I, math was never my strong suit. I got, I got by, but I thought that I had to be a, a mathematician, you know, and all those sort of things that kind of, you know, just kind of put a bit of a mental block between, you know, and yeah. So that was kind of, yeah. What, so did you drop out at NYU then? Did it go pursue this or did you try to do both? No. So I initially started to just drop a couple classes and kind of go part-time and I was doing uh, flight training, you know, once a week sort of thing. And then I kind of, that bug, I got completely just eaten by that flying bug and I was done. And I had to break it to my, my parents that like, this is like, I have to drop out of college and I'm going to pursue this. Like I'm going, like, I want to kind of go all in. And my dad, I can tell you, was not incredibly happy about this from all his, his, my siblings are like lawyers and, and, you know, hedge fund, you know, fancy people and stuff. And then there's like Max the pilot. Right. And, uh, and like, when I told him like, yeah, I'm, I'm going for this, like I'm going big. 
Um, and I, I've always been a little bit of a, you know, out of the box kind of character compared to my, my other siblings. So, uh, it was, I think he might've subconsciously been expecting at some point I was not going to go the normal path. Um, so my mom's like, yeah, it's all about love and go for it, Max. I will support you hundred percent. And my, my dad's like, you know, come on, stop, just stop that now. Let's talk about this. So yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny, but, uh, but yeah, I dropped out, uh, end of my freshman year and, um, and just went full in flight training, um, three or four times a week. And yeah. That's interesting. I was going to ask you about your dad because he made a very conscious effort to get you that American education that he thought well, that you absolutely had to have and needed to have. But uh, what he didn't realize is probably bringing you to the States lets you be able to, to foster your love a little bit more for aviation because it's so much more accessible in the States to become a pilot. You can just go to your local flight school. Like You might be able to do that a little bit over in England, but it's not as easy as it is here. Where, uh, But on the flip side, he's probably like, crap, if I would have kept him in England, maybe he wouldn't be a pilot and he'd be going to become a lawyer or a doctor or doing something else. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, I have, I have friends I grew up with who are pilots over in the UK and it is, it's really hard for them to go flying. I mean, it's not, you know, I always tell them like, yeah, I can just, you know, go to the airport and, you know, whatever, take a 172 up and not tell anyone where I'm going. I can just get in the airplane and just go and just fly around. And they're like, what? You can do that? Like, it's so, it's just such a fundamental difference of how general aviation is, as you know, I mean, compared to the two, I mean, it's crazy. It really is crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. It it is way different. And the freedoms we have are just unbelievable. And I hope that they can stay like that. I mean, uh, we don't know what the future is going to look like, but I I really do hope that it can stay as is. Um, Did you have to convince your dad at all? I know he was very hesitant and he wants you, he he wants the best for you as your dad. Like he can see the potential that you have and and see your brothers and your sisters or your siblings kind of doing these big things. Uh, What did you actually have to do to convince him that this is what you wanted to do? You know, it was something that I did not realize kind of that my dad would accept this as sort of his, him embracing flying was that I was so passionate about it. Like that for him was what kind of, kind of signed, sealed, delivered it in, in his mind that I, that I, you know, was just passionate that that's what I wanted to do. Right. Cause I feel like there's such a thing now these days that people are not passionate about what they want to do, you know? And, and I feel like that's when he saw that my dedication, like the way I was studying all, you know, me locking myself in my room for two weeks to study for my PPL written and not wanting to talk to one person, denying every phone call, like literally, you know, it was all those things that I think he saw that he was like, okay, Max is serious about this. This is like, I'm not going to be able to convince him about doing anything else. This is going to be Max's thing. And I am going to have to get on, I'm going to get on the, you know, get on the train or I'm going to get, you know, thrown off. It's going to be one of those things. Um, and you know, and I was very, obviously very blessed and, and fortunate that, you know, I, they were able to, you know, support my flight training and stuff. Um, just, you know, partially this is a, a sign of a side story to this, but my mom, we went to look at flight schools um, and we went to go check out 172s and, and you know, Cherokees and stuff like that. And my mom would not let me go do flight training in those airplanes. She just said, no, she's no, she's like, she was just so scared. I don't, she's like, you're going to fly this little, you know, rinking dinky little thing with a little propeller. It's like, no way you're doing that. Like, no way. Like, I want you to do this, but there's no way that you are going to be flying that thing. And, and I was determined, right. I was determined to find a plane that citation mom, uh, or just mom back then would, would approve. Um, and I remember spending nights just researching flight schools, New York, flight schools, Long Island, like whatever it was to try and find something that she uh, would kind of <laughs> give the stamp of approval on. 
and and then I was fortunate enough to fl- find the uh, the Cirrus, and we we went to the flight school out in White Plains, who had some Cirruses at the time, and it was the whole parachute, like that's what did it for her, like it kind of looks the same, it, there's obviously no real difference, but it was the parachute and that sort of like safety that kind of sign steel delivered the the kind of the the moving forward with flight training for her and and I was obviously immense, immensely grateful but uh, but yeah that's kind of how how I kind of got to the Cirrus and 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 moved towards that that's awesome i mean i wish that my mom was like no you can't fly a 172 we got to put you in a Cirrus cuz learning to fly a Cirrus is is pretty crazy it's got to be pretty cool yeah it was it was a really neat experience it was it was funny the the flight school that i was training at i was by far the youngest person by about 40 years Oh, wow. um, it was, yeah, it was a part 61 kind of serious flight school that I found at White Plains. And it's, it was really meant for kind of like the older kind of businessy dude that's kind of had his private for 30 years and kind of decided that he wants to kind of get back into flight training or just rent an SR20 or 22. Like it was very much like that. It wasn't like your quote unquote usual flight school. Um, and there was a couple younger people in their thirties and, and maybe, you know, late twenties, but I was definitely the youngest at 19 years old, just turned 19 walking in there and, uh, and, and doing this. So it was, it was an interesting experience and, and lifelong friends I've met that, you know, I still talk to now that are, you know, all sorts of different walks of life. So it's, uh, it was definitely a unique experience, one flight training in the Cirrus and the class and, and doing it something obviously a little unique to most flight training experiences but also, you know, the, the atmosphere that I was surrounded in was not like that, you know, UND college sort of like, you know, flight training mentality. Yeah. Do you, do you wish you had that UND flight training mentality or are you happy and, and glad you went the route you did? Um, you know, I definitely, I think miss that sort of college, you know, kind of experience just cause I've had friends that have done those sort of programs and there's been good and bad situations, but overall I, I do think I would have enjoyed that sort of, you know, camaraderie. Um, but I'm also very fortunate that I found an instructor who we just had this instant bond. I mean, it was just, you know, an instant bromance of sorts. And, uh, and yeah, and, and we, and I, he, you know, really helped me sort of progress. And, and I think as, as a pilot it helped me a lot. So I, I think there was good and bad things to both, but, but I, I do wish that I would have had some, you know, sort of college or, you know, bigger college experience, especially around people that love aviation because who doesn't want to talk about airplanes the whole time. So. No, and, it, and it is something cool when you can experience that with people that are closer to your age. Not like there's anything wrong with uh, being surrounded by older people in aviation. I mean, that's just kind of where we are and uh, where this career is and where this hobby is, is that it's very much like an old gentleman's game almost. And it's starting to change with the younger generation. It's more diverse. There's more women coming up and it it may be more accepting. I don't know if accepting is the right word, but it it seems like it's more possible for other people right now, which is awesome. And we need to continue that. But there is definitely something that's uh, being surrounded by people that are your age about something that you love and and kind of that whole college experience. Absolutely. I think, you know, and that's kind of, again, that big piece that I really miss because you know, if it wasn't for kind of the, the YouTubes and, and all my other stuff that I do meeting younger aviators, you know, I don't, I don't know where I'd find that, right. I'd have to go to some corporate job or something. So I'm, I'm even more blessed now that I've met friends, you know, my age that I've, you know, been able to kind of, you know, have part of my life because as you said, it's, it's, you miss that part of, 
that kind of younger camaraderie. So, and, and I mean, to be honest, I've always been like an old soul. I'm, when I was like 10, I felt like I was 30 anyway. So it, it it's not like I was out of place in any sort of like maturity, that sense, but it would have been nice to be able to be like talking to someone relatively my, you know, close to my age. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, you did all your training at White Plains then, or most of your training at White Plains? Yeah. So I did my, my private instrument, uh, single engine commercial at White Plains in the Cirrus, but the flight school did not have a, a twin at the time. Um, because I think someone had like prop striked it like two months before. And the owner finally said like, I'm out, I'm not dealing with this multi stuff anymore. So I found a, uh, a flight school out in Long Island at Farmingdale, which was an interesting experience because it was a 141 school. And I had never really experienced that sort of you know, pilot, it was kind of a bit of a pilot mill sort of place and it was just very structured. So kind of walking in there, it was definitely culture shock, but I did it, I did it in a, uh, an old Embry riddle DA 42, which had like seven engine conversions since it was delivered. Um, and, uh, so I did it there and then went back to, to, uh, back to Westchester after that. But yeah, the only other rating I did was at Farmingdale for the multi-commercial. And side note, you just posted about that plane. It was just destroyed in a tornado, right? So that actually wasn't the, that was the plane that I built a lot of my multi-time oh, in. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah, Dang, yeah. that's so sad. Yeah. It, it's, it's tragic. That plane was probably one of the coolest airplanes I've ever flown in my life. Like, have you flown a DA-42 before? No, I've never flown a Diamond. Okay. It's like, it's kind of funny. Like in that plane, it's, it's fast. It's, it's has this long wing, but it's, and you have this canopy. So basically you have to wear like sunscreen if it's going to be a sunny day out because you're just going to get blasted by the sun. The greenhouse uh, and it, everything. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it was a, it's a really cool airplane and fully FADEC and, and all that jazz. But the one I did my multi on had the six levers and had the IO 360s. And it was like, I mean, going from a Cirrus to, you know, which is, you know, quote unquote, an easy airplane to fly to then flying this like multi six levers, feathering the props. You know, it was like, in, in hindsight, it was a really good experience for me to be able to have that sort of no synthetic vision, actually having to like work hard to actually, you know what I mean? To do stuff. Um, and so I think I learned quite a bit in that training, but, uh, it was definitely, it was definitely a unique experience. What, uh, going back to white planes, what's it like? I mean, you probably don't know any different really, cause that's where you started flying, but talk about training out of white planes. I, not everyone has been to white planes. That's a busy little airport dominated by the likes of uh, Latitudes and Gulfstreams and the company I fly for and our competitor. Like it's a really busy airport and uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, what was your experience like training out of there? Yeah. I mean, I kind of call it like a mini Teterboro, a nicer mini Teterboro. Um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, I think it was a really good experience because how busy it is. Like I, if you can fly to White Plains as a student pilot, I think you can fly to any airport. Um just, and it was, you know, there's two runways you have to worry about, you know, intersection departures. And it was just, it's, I think it was a good experience. I also, you know, have over the years kind of become like a bit of an airport rat there. And I basically think spend more time at the airport than I do at my own house. Um, and building those relationships and stuff like there's so many good people at that airport. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the trading out of there is good. Some people find it really difficult. Um, some people I know at the flight school, you know, can't even do pattern work there. They have to go to other airports just to be able to get out of that sort of craziness of, you know, extend the down and I'll call your base. And you got four airplanes coming over the sound for three, four, as you know, you know, it's just, it's, there's just so much traffic there. But I think from a training perspective, um, it's 
really, really good. I mean, I had a buddy of mine who trained out in like the, the boonies in, in Minnesota and came to do a serious transition course at, at White Plains. And he had never like even really spoken to air traffic control before. Like, I think he has like, nothing. And it was culture shock for him. He's like, what? I got to get, tell him I got the ATIS and I got to do this. And t-. like, it was, it was fundamentally something that I had never seen before because I had done some safety pilot work with him after he got checked out. And it was still very much uncomfortable for me. I'm just like, it just all kind of was just, you know, it's how I trained. It's, it's all easy peasy. So it was um, yeah, interesting, interesting to see the two differences. Yeah, it's a very intimidating airport, especially if you're not used to that kind of environment. Even if you train in a smaller Delta that's not that busy, you go up to White Plains or you just fly in New York in general, it's going to throw you off. You're going to be behind the plane because you're going to be so focused on trying to understand what they're saying or understand what they want from you. Uh, you're going to be yelled at because you're going too slow or you're not doing enough. <laughs> like it just New York is a very stressful place for new pilots or people that aren't familiar with uh, with flying in that area. And I mean, it, it is a crazy place. Like things happen pretty quick there. They want you to get in, get out as fast as possible. So uh, you definitely got to be ready. And if you're ever going to go fly in New York, you should probably go fly with someone that's from the area just to get used to it before you go solo. Yeah, no, you know, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, when I first started flying to Teterboro, that I had that sort of like fear. I had the Teterboro fear, even though I had trained at White Plains, you know, and that was kind of the weird bit for me is I've, you know, you know Teterboro is probably busier and, and I'm sure the traffic levels are higher. But for me, like I used to, uh, when I kind of a separate story, but when I kind of got all my commercials, I started doing contract work for the, for the flight school that I, uh, trained at. And they used to always fly Cirruses into Teterboro. And I'm like, man, I got to fly into Teterboro. Like this is, you know, you always hear stories. And I had never, I had never done that. I'd flown into the Kennedys and the, the Newarks and Logans many times before, but somehow Teterboro just gave me like this, like sort of like, like, I don't know. It was like this mental thing I had to kind of get over. And then once you kind of go in there a couple of times, it's all pretty easy stuff yeah, and standard. Just another but airport, right? Yeah. Just another airport, exactly. Lane, but get off the runway, go park and uh, do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, but no, I, I think training in busy airports is incredibly beneficial to, to training. I, I'm, I'm a, com- a complete believer on that. Yeah, for sure. Talk a little bit about your training. Uh, was your training easy for you? Uh, you mentioned that you would lock yourself in a room, not answer a phone call, not talk to anyone. You took it very, very seriously. Uh, was it, did it come easy for you or did you need to take it this serious in order to do as well as you did? Um, so my private, I did my private at, I think I, at 40, 48 hours. So relatively, relatively quickly, but I can, <laughs> the, tr- the stress that I put myself through to get it done and the studying, it was not healthy. I mean, I think my, you know, everyone can kind of in kind of my world can kind of admit that like I, it's not the way to do it. Um, and I was so focused on, you know, I had never studied for, you know, going to NYU and doing a, a poli sci degree is very different than studying for an FA written exam and, and learning all that sort of, you know, unique stuff. So I definitely wanted to make sure that I, um, you know, went into it and aced it. Like there was, I, you know, I said, I remember saying to myself in my head that like, I have to get a 95 or better. Like I'm not going to accept anything less than a 95 because that's like a disappointment in my head. So, you know, I, I think it was a, a bit of an unhealthy private pilot's license. Not that it was hard, but I just put myself through the ringer. Um, and then when I actually got done with my private, I said to myself, I'm done, I'm done. I'm not doing any more flight training. I, I thought that this was going to be like my thing. And I just, I just, it's just too difficult to be able to, uh, put myself through. Like I was just miserable. 
And uh, I took about three months off from flying after I got my private, you know, flew a little bit. And then I realized that, you know, I have to be able to find a balance in my life that I can balance the two because I love this too much. I'm too miserable not to be flying and training that I have to figure this out. Like I just, I have to figure it out. So you're too miserable to not fly, but you're also too miserable to fly and train. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, So when I went into, before I went to my instrument rating, I I definitely felt much better because how structured the instrument rating is. Like for me, the instrument rating was way easier than the private. The private was, you know, it was just also new and like an oral exam. What the hell is an oral exam? I got to like, this dude has to ask me questions for three hours. Like what? Um, so it was just so new to me. And I think I was just burned out after that. Um, but going into the instrument rating, seeing kind of how structured that was, it was, um, it was a pretty breeze of a rating, to be honest. I think I did like, I don't know, four or five sort of lessons. And then I was off for my check ride. Um, yeah, it was, it was, and I, and I think it comes back to that particularly was all my sim, my simulator training that I've done on kind of my computer, like knowing all the procedures, knowing, you know, if they tell you like, you know, left turn 270, join the localized, like what, you know, what all that means, right? Cause a lot of people just don't know what that really means going into a kind of a primary instrument uh, training. So, um, yeah, so I did that, did the instrument rating, got that done with, and then kind of once I had kind of finished that, I'm like, you know what? I think I know how to study for these ratings now. Like I've, I'm doing well. I'm doing well on my written exams. I'm the, you know, haven't failed a check right yet. The orals of everyone says I'm doing well. So I think, you know, I've found a balance now and it only got better as I went in for my commercial add-ons and multis and, and then even through type ratings, like it just, it only got better. Like I felt myself very much being at peace and being like, yeah, I can totally go out for dinner with a couple friends um, pre COVID and then, uh, and then, and then, and, you know, and be able to go home and study for an hour before I go to bed. And that that's totally fine. So I, I feel like it definitely progressed, um, you know, as I kind of matured through my ratings and, and gained confidence. And I think that's really what it came down to was I was able to have more inner confidence in myself that like, you know what, I can do this. Like, it's not, I don't have to put myself through the ringer and make myself miserable, but I can still have a life and be able to pass check rides and do very well. And that's okay. You know, when you're going so, through, when you're going through the stage of your mindset, like, all right, I'm just going to be a private pilot. It's just going to be a hobby. This is my thing. It's all good. What was your idea for your future? What was your idea? What were you going to do for a job then? Uh, or are you still thinking, I know you, you eventually three months later when you took time off, you went back and trained, but did you think about going back to NYU and getting that? Or what were you thinking? You know, I was kind of just in this three month sort of like lull of like, I don't know what I want to do. I, there's only really one major thing that I'm passionate about, which is flying. And if I don't have flying in my life, like, what am I, like, what am I? Like I, there was a piece of me that was sort of missing. And, uh, and, and I remember, you know, another thing that kind of pushed me to get even just move on to my trend rating was, you know, I'd, I was flying back with uh, a friend of mine. We, we rented an SR20 and, uh, the weather was, it was VFR, it was overcast 5,000 coming back from Providence and the weather started to drop and it was, you know, kind of dropping, you know, more and more. And I remember we had to, I, you know, it must've been, I don't know, dropped two or 3,000 feet and I had to land and we landed at a small airport and just waited for the weather to, uh, to clear out. And I said to myself, like, this isn't safe. This is just not, this is like, I need to have an instrument rating. You need to have that sort of comfort because 
if I would have had trading, I could have picked up an IFR clearance and it would have been fine, but I had to land and, and, you know, and it was obviously the safe thing to do. And that's the right thing to do if you don't have an instrument rating, but it was very much like that in a way pushed me to kind of progress to, even if I never wanted to be a quote unquote professional pilot, or if I wanted to, you know, do this as a hobby, I knew I had to get my instrument rating. So those experiences, I think definitely, you know, helped me also to get back in the training sort of, you know, realm. What was it for you that convinced yourself that you could figure out a way to maybe make it a little mentally easier for you, not put so much stress or pressure on yourself? Was there any one thing or was it just a mindset? And you told yourself, if I'm going to do this, I have to chill out. I have to kind of figure out a way to, to make this work. Or is this something that you had like a step-by-step plan? Like, all right, I'll study for this amount and then I'll go have fun and force myself to do fun things and take my mind off it. Um. You know, that's a good question. I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was more of it like one, this is not normal to be able to just lock yourself in your room for two weeks and, and study. Like it's just, that's just too much. And, and two, I think finding, you know, ways that I can, I can study and understand information better. You know, I remember one thing that an instructor told me is when you're, you know, studying for your oral exam, get your phone out, get a recorder, and then basically like answer like an oral question, what you think, you know, in the PTS book, whatever it is, ask yourself a question, answer it how you would answer it, and then listen back to it and see if it's just mumble jumble garbage, or if it's actually understandable that it actually sounds like you know what you're talking about. And, and I remember like, it was eye opening to me hearing some of the stuff that I would actually say to my iPhone. I'm like, what the hell is this? This is crap. Like, it's just, it's bad. And so finding ways like that, that I could like help myself like progress and study and and finding weird ways in that sort of learning process to help me, um, I think really helped, uh, kind of just get my head around training and then, you know, progressing and, and going, you know, onwards from there. Yeah. I've actually never heard that before. That's a great tip. And one thing to look for, what I would recommend is to practice saying things with confidence. You say the wrong, if you say the right answer, but you don't sound confident, the DP is going to question you and you're going to be like, uh, you're not going to know that your right answer is right. You know? So whatever you say, I always feel like you need to say it with confidence because if it's right and you say it with confidence, there's really going to be no other questions asking. Like, Oh wow, this guy knows his stuff or this girl knows her stuff, you know? But if you don't say it with confidence and that leaves a little bit of room for them to come in and be like, are you sure? <laughs> you know? And that's where you start getting in trouble. And that's when they start to dig and dig and dig. No, I, I, it's kind of like my motto, like, you know, kind of fake it till you make it, right? Like you got to kind of, if you don't really know it, you kind of just got to say that, say it like you do. And then hopefully he doesn't dig, you know? Please don't ask another question. Please don't ask yeah, another question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been there like, okay, I think I answered that well. It sounded good enough. Okay, yeah. I think we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did your family say to you about, did they raise any concerns about you continuing on at that pace? Was your dad like, hey, Max, like, I know that you love flying, but you can't do this to yourself. Or was this kind of like a, a self-assessment you had on yourself about training and the stress you put yourself under. Uh, my, yeah, it's funny. My, I love my dad, but he was a bit clueless on like, he's like, Oh, Max locked himself in his room for two weeks. Yeah, that, that's okay. It's fine, fine. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's fine. <laughs> my, but my mom was very much like Max, this is not, this is not healthy. Like you, can you come out with me on like on a walk at least? Like, can you just clear your head? Like just something. And, and I, it was more my mom that was very much, you know, there needs to be a different way to, to study and, and find, um, and my instructor said that too, you know, who's kind of been a mentor of mine and just said like, you, you can't study like this. It's just not, it's just not the way to do it. And then finding different ways, you know, that helped me quite a bit is like studying, studying for 45 minutes. And then, 
uh, going for a walk or going to the gym or going to play basketball and then coming back, you know, breaking it up, I think was, was very, very helpful too. So, yeah. Well, let's take a break real quick and we will come right back. All right, we are back. Uh, we were finishing up talking about Max and just kind of some pressure that he was putting on himself. And his mom was forcing him to get out and uh, and take a walk and just get out of your room, man. But uh, I'm glad that you figured out uh, a good balance because that's important. Uh, mental health is important. And putting yourself under that kind of stress, no matter what you're doing, is not going to be good for the long run. You're eventually going to burn out. And in that, I've seen a lot of people burn out and just leave the industry in general. So noticing that and even taking that three months off of studying and progressing in your training was very important for you to, to make the clear decision to continue. If you would have just, fo- if you would have kept going at that pace, who knows where you'd be right now? I, I co- yeah, completely agree. And, and also just from a non-flying perspective, right? Like the confidence that I think that gave me just from a, a life perspective, right? To be like, you know what? I can do this. Like I got this. This is, you know, has helped me, I think in many other areas also in life. Um, and you know, I was always like a social kid. Like I always, you know, was very out and about, but you know, seeing that I can like, I can study for something and like do like fantastic. And like, it really, I think built like this kind of inner confidence in myself, just that like, I can do it. Like if I, if someone gives me a really hard task, like I can figure it out. And I think for all the crap of being locked in my room for two weeks to study for my private written, which was obviously silly, but I did it right. And I, you know, now to be able to, you know, progress and do other things and be like, yeah, I got this. No worries. It's, it's all good. You know, I think that is, that is looking back was maybe a blessing in disguise. Absolutely. Huge confidence builder too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have, you mentioned you started in a Sears. You went to a Diamond. Have you ever flown a 172 or 152? <laughs> I, I I have four hours in a Cessna 172. Oh man, don't uh, go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> a buddy of mine, uh, I was uh, was doing his uh, instrument rating and he needed some uh, some safety pilot work. And he was like, you want to come flying in my 172? I'm like, yeah, dude, I really do. So I, I flew up to Boston and we did some safety pilot stuff. And Honestly, it was kind of neat. Like people say like, oh, it's neat to find a 172, but it was like, it was so different. Like that, like high wing, it flies so different than a, uh, than a Cirrus. It was just a very unique experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've flown a 172, uh, haven't flown a 182, one, I don't think I could fit in a 152. Um, but I, I tried to fit in a, yeah, I tried to fit in a Lancer a couple of weeks ago and I was trying to take off my shoes, socks, everything to try and fit in this thing. And I could not fit in it. So yeah, I don't know not, if not I could fit in a 150. Yeah, not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Second question is, you've also flown a Cirrus, a Diamond, and a 172, which may be uh, an answer to this question coming up. But have you ever flown with a standard six-pack or have you always had glass the whole time? Um, so this is a little embarrassing. Yes, I have never flown a traditional six-pack airplane. <laughs> That's crazy. Except in flight simulator, yeah. probably, right? Except, except in flight sim, yes. Except in like the old 727. Yeah, I, I have never flown. And, and it's something that I, I know examiners when I was doing ratings in the Cirrus would be like, I don't like this. Like, I don't really like that you haven't done six-pack training like you've all. And I remember on my instrument rating, you know, I did it on an SR20, the synthetic vision, you know, all that sort of jazz. And he gave me like a lecture for about half an hour after the check. He's like, Max, listen, you did a great job. You passed, you know, well done, but I need to tell you something. And he just kind of very nicely, very respectfully, but kind of gave it to me. Like, I do not like that you have no time in a six pack. Like, I don't think that's good for your training. I think that's fundamentally not the right way of learning how to fly. I think you should six pack to glass. You shouldn't glass to six pack. Um, and, I, and I put it, you know, it was interesting conversation and I, and I, I heard him. Like, I totally get that. 
Um, but it just, it kind of just wasn't the way it kind of happened for me. Yeah. Um, well, here's my thing. If you're never going to fly six pack, then I don't know if it really matters if you get a six pack training. I would highly, highly, highly recommend that everyone starts in a six pack and does six pack training. I think that uh, learning your scan with a, a standard six pack is very beneficial. But in your case, if you don't foresee yourself really ever doing anything other than glass and you have a scan for what your glass instruments are telling you, then like it isn't probably the biggest deal. Now, I'm sure you, I don't know, would you feel comfortable going into a six pack and flying an ILS down the minimums? Would that be something that you'd feel comfortable doing or do you think that'd be dangerous? 100% not. No, I, I, I honestly, if I flew a six pack, to be honest, I think I'd be strictly a VFR pilot for quite a bit of time. I, that that would be, I've had you know, instructors and stuff that's like, Hey, would you fly a six pack to like, even like a thousand foot, you know, ceiling approach? I'm like, definitely not. I just, I just, you know, could I do it? Sure. Is it the safe way of, of operating as PIC? I don't think it is. So, um, yeah. Well, it's good that you know those limitations. And I guess my, my question for you is what do you, what do you think about what your uh, DPE told you? What are your, what's going through your mind about say a student right now that is only going glass? Would you recommend them going six pack or are you okay? And would you recommend going the route that you go if you foresee them only being in glass cockpit? Cause glass cockpits are kind of the thing, you know, uh, six packs are in older airplanes, but everyone wants that glass time and everyone wants to upgrade to glass. So in the future, we might be airplanes might only have glass or have kind of glass uh, incorporations like the G5, I think it is. Is that what that Garmin makes, the, the instruments, the G5, I believe? Uh, what's your thought process on what your DPU is telling you? You know, I think from a fundamental point of view, he's 100% right. But I think we're in 2020, almost 2021. And it's just not the way that students should be training these days because there's so much glass out there. And especially for students that are, going into potentially the corporate world or going into the 121 world or whatever it might be. There's no, I mean, besides flying like a 1970 Learjet, like you're very hard to find a plane that has no glass. And I think that just because when I've been at different type rating schools and done different stuff, like I've been in class of guys who have flown Lears and have flown stuff that has no glass and they are lost when they see a G3000 or a G5, they, they just are lost. Um, and even, you know, some owner pilots who I've met before, like who have flown like Barons and, you know, King Airs of six packs and all sorts of stuff like that. Like, it's just such a fundamental, just night and day difference. So I'm a proponent that I think you should learn on glass. You should fly glass. I think it's a safer way of flying too. There's just so much more information for you to be able to have, you know, for, to be a safer flight from point A to point B. So if I was a student came to me, I would say I would recommend learning on glass, but I, I don't, I mean, I'm probably in the minority on that. I don't know. I have the first plane I ever flew with glass was the latitude. I never flew a plane with glass. I flew a six pack in, in the caravan or when I was training in 172 is the arrow, um, fly next 310 Seneca Aztec, uh, arrow commander caravan PC 12, all six pack glass. And I, so how was that? I, Cause I remember you told me that a while ago, like how was that going into like your first, like, and that's like a big boy glass cockpit. That's like no yeah. jokes. Yeah. Like, how, what G5, was that like? 000. It was honestly not very difficult because I, I don't know if it's just my experience with video games. I never played fight simulator, but I think the information laid out on the G5000 and the Garmin system is very easy to pick up on. You just have to train your eyes where everything is, but it all just makes sense. And the situational awareness that you have with the G5000 or G3000, it's very hard for you to get lost and not know where you are at all times. And I think that helps out a lot as well. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I mean, that Garmin, it's such a good software. I mean, it's just, it's just so fundamentally, I think, easy to kind of work. And once you get the hang of it, it's just like, okay, I got this. Yeah. That's good. That's a good conversation. I mean, I definitely think it's up for everyone to make on their own. Uh, it's obviously going to be cheaper for you to go six pack route. And I recommend if you can do it as cheap as possible and as safe as possible, that it's always good to do the six pack route. But uh, glass is here to stay and it's going to be the future. So, I mean, if you want to future proof yourself, then that's a good idea too. But it might just be more difficult for you to go hop in a J3 Cub and go uh, putts around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I want to move in a little bit after your training. Uh, so now you're, you said everything kind of went pretty well after your private instrument, commercial, multi, had a lot of fun. You didn't really put too much stress on yourself. Uh, all your check rides, did you pass all your check rides first time? Do you have any issues on your check rides? Nope. I passed. Yep. Every check ride. Uh, yep. Never, never failed a check ride to was, this day. Did you ever think about going airlines or were you corporate all the way? You know, I, um, and most, this is actually, most people don't know this. I actually was about to go fly for Republic, um, about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I had my, I had a time to go in, like I was all pretty much happening. And, uh, it was when my, when my dad's company upgraded to the three plus, and kind of the whole kind of mission kind of changed for the company and kind of where we were going to be going and, and how much more flying there was going to be and all that sort of stuff. Um, that I decided that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to wait, I'm going to build some more jet time. I'm going to, you know, kind of do this before I kind of would even think about doing the, the regionals or whatever it might be at that point. But I was, I was very much, I was definitely going to, I was, my mind was kind of set. I was, I was going to do it. Right. Um, but I, um, you know, had, I'd been around the corporate world a long time. You know, I, when I got, after I got all my commercial ratings, you know, I was all kind of done at, you know, 300 hours or so. And I was like, how do I build, like, how do I build time? I, I didn't really want to go the instructor route. You know, how do I do this? And I was very, very fortunate and blessed that the flight school that I was uh, trained at, they were like, we like you, Max. Like, we think you're a good guy and we want to hire you. And I, you know, was one of their main serious contract pilots for a bunch of their owners that were not pilots that owned these airplanes that needed uh, pilots to fly them to Burlington and Pittsburgh and also all over the place. Um, and I built like a lot of my time doing that for them, which was unheard of because I was like the youngest guy there by like, and from an hour's point of view, by like 3000 hours, like all these guys were like super experienced serious pilots. Um, and there was max like the 300 hour kid with like, you know, flying these things around. Um, so, you know, I, that was like a really, really good experience kind of for me to kind of experience the corporate world. Like I remember like, I had like a, an, this is all 91, like a port, like a, an 18 hour day. And it was like, we did like 17 hops. That was for, a uh, one of our clients was running for attorney general. So we were like doing campaign stops and it was go, go, go. And it was just, Hey, pick me up at Kennedy in an hour and then drop me off here. And you know, then Albany at like minimums at night. And it was just like, it was just, you know, seeing corporate like that, as you know, is just eye opening, right? Cause people don't think it's like, like that. Um, and the, and the ups and downs of, you know, having to clean out the lab because the guy clogged it in the back in like a CJ. Right. And, and all those sort of experiences that, you know, most people wouldn't like, but for me, I loved kind of that sort of like, it was never a dull moment sort of mentality. Like you never knew what you were going to get into. You never knew kind of where you were going. It, it just, it was never kind of a structured sort of thing. And then when I kind of, you know, built time, did that for a couple of years. I was like, you know, maybe I want to try something different. Like maybe 
it's time for me not to have to do the, the flight planning and maybe just me show up at the airplane and and get a release. And and at that point, I had done some jet corporate flying too in in the M two for my dad's company, which at that point he was really only flying about a hundred and fifty hours a year, one hundred and fifty two hundred hours. So it wasn't that much flying. So I was kind of doing a bit of of contract work on the side and still doing Sarah's stuff and and keeping myself busy. But I I want to do more. Like for me, I'm a pilot. Like I want to fly. And it's a, you know, a passion of mine, like that's what I want to do. So at that point, I was very much like, you know what, maybe this is the time that I try the 121 world, even for a year or two and just see what it's like. Um, and then when my dad's company upgraded to the three plus, uh, then the whole kind of mission changed and it was kind of a, 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 you know, a whole different sort of way of flying now. So that's kind of why I decided to kind of put that on hold for now and, and build more time and, and see what kind of options, you know, there are out there you know, down the road. So you could see yourself going the 121 route eventually again, just to kind of see if you like it and just try it. Yeah, I, I do. You know, at some point down the road, I I definitely think that I, you know, not obviously a hundred percent, but, I, but I could see myself wanting to try it. You know, it, it's something about that sort of like when you, when there's something inside of you that like, you kind of are intrigued a little too much that you kind of, you want to try it, but you're, you don't, you know what I mean? It's like that feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see maybe one day. Yeah, no, I completely understand. Would you even think about uh, like a bigger fractional operation, which is kind of like has all the benefits of both sides? Or do you think like, I want to fly big metal only and try that? Uh, I think for me, it's probably 91 or 121. I, I don't think that 135 or the fractional sort of combination is for me. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, you know, 91 or 135 uh, or 121. I, I will say, I mean, I think kind of, every pilot or most pilots, you know, they want to continue to grow as a pilot, right? They want to continue that to fly different airplanes to, to grow up the rankings of, of kind of what they fly. And I think, you know, that's something that obviously is uh, something that I'm, you know, interested in doing and, and, you know, and all that stuff. That'd be weird. It'll be, uh, you're going to challenge Swain Martin as a airline vlogger. <laughs> I don't think anyone can top Swain. So no, I don't, I know. I love Swain's stuff. He does a great job, but no, I think, I think it will be uh, yeah, I don't know what will happen to the channel at that point, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little about YouTube. Um, why YouTube? Was this always kind of your goal? You're like, I think, it, did you always find yourself watching other videos and you're like, man, I could do this better. Or I think that I could share a story. Uh, where did YouTube come in the plane you're flying? Yeah. So YouTube, I mean, I always nerded out watching YouTube for, you know, many, many, many years, but I never in a million years thought I would ever be a YouTuber or whatever I am on YouTube. I don't know. But, um, I started posting YouTube videos with literally putting one GoPro four with a suction cup facing outside the airplane, plugged in with an audio cable for my flight training. And I, that's how I use it. I would, after a flight, I'd come back and plug it into my computer and listen to like the radio mistakes I made or something funky that happened on the flight, whatever it might've been. And, um, I, that kind of continued. I'd randomly post a video on YouTube, which was like unedited. It was like the most pathetic YouTube video you've ever watched in your life. And, um, and then when I started flying the vision jet, I'm like, huh, I said, maybe there's like a unique opportunity because I'd never seen any vision jet content on YouTube. I'm like, maybe this is the time where like I try and like buy a couple more cameras and like mess around with sticking cameras in different places in the airplane and seeing what it's like. I have no idea, but why not? Let's just see. And uh, the first video that I posted on um, YouTube in the Vision Jet was me taxiing out of O'Hare, which is possibly the most boring taxi. It was like me just taxiing on O'Hare for 45 minutes. Um, 
you know, had like got two and a half million views oh my gosh. and the kind of the, cha- yeah. And the, ch- and the channel from there kind of was like, I'm like, wow. I said, okay. And then I kind of was like, I'm going to start, I'm going to start doing this. Like this is, people want to see this airplane. Like people, it's such a unique airplane for all the stuff that Cirrus, you know, get crapped on and stuff. It was a unique, interesting airplane that had never really been seen before in the public eye. And I, and it was kind of, I think people wanted to see it. So I kind of decided to, I'm just going to start posting YouTube videos and seeing if people want to watch it. And the next one I posted right after that was with my mom and it had 1.6 million views in like a month. Dang, dude, you're famous. And yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not, dude. I'm just a regular nerdy geeky airplane guy is <laughs> how, I, how I think about views. myself. Yeah. And, and so, and obviously it didn't continue to get millions of views, but people continue to want to watch that. And I had changed my name to Cirrus Max at that time and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's kind of how I progressed into YouTube. It was really nothing was planned. Literally nothing was ever, I never thought that I wanted to become a YouTuber or post YouTube videos. It was just that basically. That's funny. No, I mean, sometimes that's the best way is when it just naturally happens and you weren't like banking on it or really wanted it to happen. It can be more natural for you to create content and kind of grow and maybe not as clickbaity to grow. You know, you just wanted to post a video and people watch it and you're like, cool, I'll post another video. You know? So I think it's pretty cool. I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really, you know, I'm super blessed because of what it's been able to kind of the people I've been able to meet through just po- posting these videos. I mean, like life, lifelong friends that will be at my wedding. You know what I mean? Like it's such, it's been, you know, and who would think you post YouTube videos and like, you're going to make these lifelong, fantastic friends that you would never have met before. And so I, I've been super, super grateful to have, have met, you know, so many people that are, that I consider just lifelong friends who I love. So, um, it's been, it's been, it's been a blessing. It's been a real big blessing because, you know, for me, that's what it's about. It's the community. It's the love of aviation that we all have. And we love talking about it. And we, you know, so it's, it's been a really good thing and, and something I'm really grateful to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. The aviation community is pretty special and I'm not really a part of the YouTube community. I try to post videos or it's hard posting videos, man, like to get started in that grind. Like it's, it's so different than just putting your voice out there, but one day I'll continue it. Uh, it seems like a good community to be a part of though. It's, you know, it's a, it's so different. Like for me, I prefer, I mean, I prefer posting, you know, I mean, I like posting on YouTube and Instagram and stuff, but like that raw sort of, you know, kind of streaming that I do on Twitch, like for me, that is, it's so you, right? It's just, there's no editing. It's no, it's just Max or it's just Justin, you know what I mean? It's, and, and I, and I feel like, you know, obviously the YouTube videos are highly edited and, 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 you know, there's, there's that. So it's just, it's just two different things, but there's such a different world. I mean, the YouTube goes to, I mean, it's worldwide. It's such a global platform, you know, compared to, you know, Twitch, which is probably a little bit more, you know, niche, you know, maybe not so much anymore, but it's just two completely different things. I completely agree with you there. Uh, I'd have to talk about this a little bit, but you have experience and time in a plane that I joke on all the time. The ultimate baby shark, the vision jet, uh, which also is really funny because I saw your actual vision jet in Gunnison, Colorado, the one that you used to fly. <laughs> do you remember that? When I, when I, when you messaged me or someone messaged me and I reach out to you. I, I, I do. Yeah. Five Mike whiskey. That was yeah. crazy. Yeah. I had no idea. And then everyone's like, that's Station Max. And I was like, what? No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, for all the jokes it gets, it is a, 
it's a revolutionary airplane from what it can do from like this single engine, like sitting on top of the airplane. You know, it's just, it's such with these rudder evaders kind of doing all sorts of funky stuff behind you. It's just a really funky airplane in, in every sense. What, so my biggest thing with that, especially with the first generation is that it didn't have great performance from what I remember reading about. Like it would, it could, it took a decent amount of runway to take off or, or to land. Was that your case of actually flying the plane or with you operating the plane? Did you never really feel that sense of worry with the performance of the plane? No, I definitely felt the sense of worry. Okay. Uh, no, so the, the, it is an G, actual thing. G- that I didn't make that up. <laughs> No, you definitely did not make that up. No, the, the G1, um, it is a performance-limited airplane. Um, I remember taking off from, and in some aspects, it's actually interesting, the SR-22 Turbo has better performance than the Vision Jet. Um, yeah, yeah, which is which is kind of crazy. But um, it is, I, I remember taking off one day from Vegas. We were It was a hot day in Vegas. We were at max gross weight, and we were climbing out at 500 feet per minute. Um, it was just, it's just a, when it's hot and high, it's just a, it's a bit of a dog of an airplane. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely has its limitations. Um, you know, I think you climb slow, it climbs at 160, you know, you, you're not going to get much more above a thousand feet per minute above 18 or 19. So there's definitely some performance issues. Um, but you know, and, and when we, when I was flying, you know, ours at that point, you know, we had serial 62, like it was so early. Um, they kind of told us it's serious. Like we need you as much as, you know, you need us. I mean, like when a part would break, you wouldn't talk to like the serious maintenance department. You would actually talk to the person that built that part, like actually built that part. Um, yeah, which, which was cool. And, and it, but you know, the whole, you know, serious sort of life and that, that whole community, like they've built a great community behind that, but it's, it was definitely a it it's a unique airplane and it has its limitations it, it definitely does what do you th- my thought process with them and obviously i don't work for them i don't like i'm not an engineer so they are much smarter from than me to build that kind of plane but i always thought they're great prop planes why and turboprops are really making a killing and are such a great market why not just create a single engine turboprop you know i just don't understand the whole single jet yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a good question. I, I think the, you know, the TBM Pilatus, that whole world and the Denali now of Textron and stuff. I don't know how you crack into that world. Like it's just such a tough world to crack into. And I think just because I know some of the people at Cirrus and they're good people, there's it's such a revolutionary sort of company. They just do stuff differently for, for bad and for bad and good. But, you know, I, I think that was kind of, they had set their eyes on doing the single engine jet, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that there was kind of no going back. Like there was just, it was just kind of, that was that what they were going to do. And if it was going to crash and burn, it was. And if not, it, this vision jet was going to appear. Well, good. That's interesting. When you do a YouTube video, um, are you posting everything that happens in the plane? Or if you have some kind of emergency or if you have something that you do that maybe is stupid, do you edit those out? Or is it just like real, like these are my mistakes, this is what happened, or these are the realities of flying with emergencies? How do you handle that, that kind of stuff when you're filming yourself? Well, so luckily I've never had an, well, knocking I've never been filming. Right I've now. never been, <laughs> yeah, knock on wood, I've never had an in-flight emergency when I've been filming. I did have a double generator failure about five months ago going into midway. Um, and I mean, I was not filming for that flight, but, um, you know, I've, you know, I've had the door open before, um, but not filming. So I've, I've definitely been, you know, lucky that when I'm filming, nothing, nothing crazy has happened, but, but I think it's important that, you know, 
if you make a mistake, right? Obviously it's not <laughs> nothing bad, that it's important to embrace that, learn from it and acknowledge that and, you know, not have it happen again, you know? So, you know, if it did happen, you know, I don't think I would be opposed to, to posting that. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, from a mistake point of view, I feel like I fly, I fly pretty professionally and I, I take it very, very serious. So I, I would hope I would not make a, a big mistake, but everyone's, everyone's human. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely edited. I mean, there's definitely stuff that I edit out, not that it's bad stuff, but it's just stuff that YouTube, you know, doesn't need to, doesn't need to see. You know what I mean? Are you fearful yeah. at all that anyone is going to do what they, they tried to do to uh premier driver, uh, Greg, where they try to turn him into the FAA and get him in trouble? Does that ever cross your mind and be like, maybe this isn't worth it? You know, it, it, it definitely has. And especially, you know, Greg is a, a lifelong friend and a mentor and just a fantastic guy. And I, we've spoke about this for many hours, especially after, you know, he had his, his issue with that guy reporting him, which was complete BS. Um, you know, I definitely took a step back when that happened and says, do I, I've worked my butt off for, you know, what, six, seven, you know, six, seven years now. Like, is it really worth it? Is this really worth me posting videos to potentially jeopardize, you know, my future? Because I plan on doing this until I'm like 110, you know, 110. Like, I have no idea. You know what I mean? As long as I keep my medical, like I plan to fly. So it definitely, it definitely was an eye-opening experience for me. And how I kind of look at doing videos now, and this is maybe a shame, maybe it's not, but I kind of picture that I have like an FAA examiner in the right seat with me. And like, not that I'm so focused on it, but I definitely have that sense of like, you know, this is, you know, and I, I always am like this, but even more sense now, like it is, if, I, if you're filming, like it is, it's 100%, you know, by the book, you know, to the T because you just, you could subconsciously be doing something that you think is a hundred percent correct. And probably 99% of pilots do that, which as you know, there's a bunch of things that we'll do. That's maybe not, you know, it's a bit of a, I, I don't know. Someone but, will disagree with something you do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's something that I'm very, very, you know, cognizant of like one example, right? Like, you know, like you're kind of, you know, crossing the, the, the kind of the whole short bars to like clear the runway. Right. And like now, like I make sure that like I, I, before I do anything, clean up any flaps, any speed brakes, any, anything like that, I make sure that I clear the, the, the whole short line, I stop and then I make sure I'm clear. Then I, clean up everything, you know, you know, all that stuff. When, when most of the time, as you know, you're kind of, as you're clearing out, clean up to your FO, whatever it might be, clean up the flaps, get everything kind of going. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of that stuff that I feel like, um, is, um, you know, which is, is, which is maybe a good thing. Maybe this is a good thing that, you know, there's more eyes on this now that you really have to do those things that are, you know, by the book. But, um, yeah, it was definitely an eye-opening experience and definitely, you know, it sucked for Greg, but obviously it was all figured out and all taken care of. Um, but yeah, I definitely did think about it and, and definitely do think about it because it is a, I'm, I'm scared about that. But for me, I fundamentally, it outweighs what I think I, for the, for what the YouTube videos do and, and what they kind of, um, for the community and, and me kind of wanting people to feel like they're in that right seat with me. Right. Or if there's another pilot there, um, you know, them feeling that they're in the back kind of watching, you know, a flight happen because it is a unique experience. And I think it, it deserves to be, to be seen because a lot of people have no idea what actually goes up or what happens up front. Um, so that's always kind of my sort of balancing act is, is 
what just what's worth it, right? Is it is that my license? I'm sure 99% of people will think it's the license, but I think there's a way that you can do both safely um, and it all be totally fine. Do you see the FAA in the future or have you had any contact with them about working with YouTube pilots? And I don't know if maybe they come up with their own like type of flying or a way that we can they can do this legally. Or I know it is legal, but like without having someone on the internet can report you for everything you do. Do you foresee or has the FAA reached out to anyone that you know of to try to figure out a way to make this a little bit easier and a little bit uh, better for YouTube pilots? Yeah, you know, I, I have not heard of them reaching out um, to try to be, you know, work with us because, you know, and I think that would be, a, I mean, I think that's a great idea. I think that would be a fantastic thing to, to be able to have that relationship because from an educational point of view, I think it's fantastic for, you know, that next generation of pilots um, to be able to see what it's like. I mean, I think if you do videos the right way, which I think I do, and there's a bunch of people out there that do, you know, videos the right way. I think it's a fantastic learning tool and educational tool for the whole community. Um, so I hope one day we do get there that, you know, there is that sort of relationship between, you know, the YouTube pilots and the FA. You know, I think it doesn't help that sometimes you have certain YouTube pilots that have titles that, you know, don't help the cause and, 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 and make life harder for the guys uh, and girls who are, you know, doing the videos the right way. So I think there's a, a balancing act because there's so much different flying that happens on YouTube, right? It's so hard. There's the, the you know, the flying cowboys. There's the the guys that just do the jet stuff at 450. And then there's the, you know, the missionary bush pilots of the world flying in like Papua New Guinea. And, you know, there's just so many different videos out there that it's, I think it's hard, you know, to be able to kind of, where do you start? You know, where do you start? And, and, you know, when, when do guys stop and girls stop posting, you know, super clickbaity titles? Like I crashed my airplane and this is what happened. Like, why, why, why would you post that? Like, you know, like I don't get that, right? Like that fundamentally, I don't understand, but, and I think until that stops, there's not going to be a sense of like the FA wanting to work with pilots that are doing it the right way. You know what I mean? Like myself and Greg and, and Baron pilot and, and all those sorts of, you know, Sean from corporate, like all that sort of, you know, sort of, you know, way of, of doing things, you know, that's kind of my concern is when's that going to happen? You know, I think YouTube plays an important role in the future of general aviation. I think that what the YouTube pilots are doing, a lot of them, not all of them, uh, they are further expanding our community. They are showing people that this is possible to, to people that never even thought about flying. Maybe they didn't live near an airport, but they have access to a computer and they can be really be inspired by uh, people like you or anyone that posts on YouTube and just see that and be like, I want to do that. If they can do that, I can do that. Or, hey, they look like me, I can do that. You know, like I think that the FAA needs to understand how important of a role that this is going to play in the future of aviation and general aviation and pilots in general. So I really hope that they can find a way to work with y'all and, and make it work. Obviously, there needs to be some kind of way that you can post stuff and not be fearful of getting your ratings taken away unless you do something extremely stupid, which then if you're dumb enough to post that, then that's all up to you, you know? But I feel like there needs to be some sort of uh, of working relationship between the two parties because I see this playing a huge role in the future of aviation. Well, I mean, even when I was doing flight training, I was I was watching you know videos like I was watching all the jet guys. I'm like, man, that's so freaking cool! Like, I want to do that. Like, and I remember like I remember you know watching you know Greg and his Premier Jet, 
and I would then get the premier jet on flight sim. And then I was like flying, this is obviously very nerdy. So apologies, but like, I was like flying his premier jet with like his videos to on the screen next to me, like doing all his procedures and flows and all his sort of stuff. Like I love that. Like for me, that is so cool. Um, so I feel like there's such a, a unique perspective for, for that is exactly what you said there. There has to be a way that the FAA can work with us. And I think of having a, a good working relationship because there's so much value here. So, um, yeah. Well, I got one quick question and then I'm gonna do the rapid fire and then we'll wrap up. Uh, what was the hardest transition for you? Was it harder for you to transition from the Sears to the diamond, the diamond to the Sears jet or the Sears jet to the citation? Um, I think the, I wouldn't call hardest. I think that a different mindset was going from the vision jet to the CJ, just because when you go in from, which is called, you know, the multi piston world to like the vision jet, which is like, to be fair, it's a very easy type rating. I was, I was, I was, I was pretty bored. It was just very, it's, it's, it's like an SR 22 with a jet engine on top of it. So that did not challenge me that much to, you know, but going from, you know, going from that to then the CJ, which as you know, you, you walk into flight safety, right. And you're just hit by like that pro professional pilot, you know, vibe. It's just like this, like corporate pilot, let's get, you know, get it done. Like this is no messing around. Like, you know, so I think that was kind of, I wouldn't say a hard transition because I didn't have any issues flying the CJ. Like it was all, it was all easy and totally fine, but I had to work my butt off. I had to study. I had to, you know, it was definitely a different experience from a knowledge point of view because they expect you to know the 200, you know, memory items. They expect you to know every limitation. They expect you to be able to fly, you know, what do a two hour check ride of basically one engine working and do all this funky stuff. So, you know, it was definitely, I think more to know and, and more of a, you know, experience. But what I will say is I, when I left Cirrus for the vision jet type rating, I didn't feel like I was a better pilot. When I left uh, flight safety in Wichita for the CJ type, I felt like I was a better pilot. Um, I felt like I had grown as a pilot. I felt like I had kind of solidified my like self as, you know, that like, okay, I'm a pro pilot. I can, I can do type ratings with the best of them. You know, there was two guys in my class. One was a, an ex American seven, three captain. Another guy was a Gulfstream five fifty first officer. And like, I was able to no issues, you know, this like serious jet guy with like 200 hours in the DA 42 can hang with the big boys and have no issues and get it done. And I think, you know, the training, that the flight safeties do and the CAEs and all that sort of jazz. Like, I think it really does make you feel like a better pilot. And I, and I definitely left there thinking like, yeah, I, I feel 100% good flying, you know, an M2 or a three plus or a CJ four single pilot and being 1 million percent comfortable and, and having no issues at all. Um, and, and looking back at that now, I mean, I almost have a thousand hours in the CJ, you know, I feel you know, as comfortable as I, you know, did after, you know, a hundred hours, you know what I mean? So, I, I think you, you kind of, as you know, you kind of get that flow, you get your kind of mojo and then it kind of, you kind of just feel at, at peace in that cockpit and it just kind of all works, you know? And, and when you do have an emergency like that dual generator failure or the door opens, you're like, all right, I got this. No worries. Let's pull up the checklist. And we'll figure it out. Like there's no sense of like, oh my God, it's just, okay, we're going to figure it out. Like you, you're trained to, to deal with the stresses of that, but it doesn't affect the safety of the flight. And I think that was something that I think was, has been invaluable in, in my training for sure. Well, I got a couple of rapid fire questions for you. They're very quick. You just say the first thing that comes to your mind, no explanation whatsoever. So just answer the question as quick as possible and we'll boom, boom, boom. All right. 
Okay. Let's All do right, it. cool. Uh, what is your favorite airplane overall? Any airplane ever made? Triple seven. Corporate airplane. What's your favorite one ever made? Oof. Uh, anything Gulfstream. I love the Gulfstream. Small piston. Uh, SR22. What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? <laughs> uh, the Honda Jet. Oh, yes. Good answer. I like that one. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, oof, that's okay. That's a tough one. Um, what did I know before I became a pilot? How great it would be. Like how I didn't know how awesome it would actually be. I think that would be the best answer. Who in the industry, if you meet one person, could be Instagram, could be a famous celebrity that flies, or it could be someone that's passed on. Who's one person in the industry that you would like to meet most? Oof. Um, that's so hard. There's like 50 people that I, I really want to meet. Um, I would love to meet Trent Palmer one day. I think he does some incredible stuff from a videography point of view and just a flying point of view. So I think he would probably be one, but there's, there's a bunch. There's so many. Fair enough. I like that answer. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Uh, the community that is really a part of it. The friends that I've met, the, the, the people that are in my life because of aviation has been by far the, the, the biggest blessing and, and I'm grateful for. Favorite airport you've ever landed at? Uh, favorite airport, probably Jackson Hole, just because I love it so much. Absolutely. I get goosebumps every time. Yeah. <laughs> What's your least favorite airport? Um, Newark. All right. Uh, let's see. IFR or VFR? Would you have fly? Which one? Uh, uh, VFR. Favorite airport food for your case? Uh, you don't really fly in the airlines too much. So say you get a chance to go grab a crew car. Uh, what's your go-to? I like it. Would you like barbecue, tacos, Mexican? What's your go-to when you get a crew car to go find some food? Barbecue, definitely. And best airport food, I don't know if you've been to, is Driggs. Have you been to Driggs, Idaho? I have, the, and the I hated the experience. It was one of the worst places I've ever been. Really? It's one of <laughs> yeah. my favorite restaurants. Oh, I didn't get to eat so there. Good, was oh, you didn't? Okay, okay. I, yeah. okay. Well, the food's so good there. They, they didn't have any notums for the runway. It was a mess. The taxiway couldn't taxi on, and they didn't have any notums for it. And we just landed, and we're like, what the heck? So <laughs> oh, I was boy. really upset <laughs> with that. But that's a whole okay. other story. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, would you like to fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? Um, mountains. Airbus or Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline livery? Um, the classic Speedbird Concorde livery. Ooh, there you go. Okay. Long trips or short trips? So I mean, long trips mean as far as you can take that CJ or maybe as many trips as you could do in one day. Um, short trips. I like, I like the quick, you know, bang up, bang down sort of thing. What's the hardest check ride you've ever taken? Um, the CJ type rating. Yeah, let's see. Next, what's the biggest regret of your career, if you have one? Biggest regret? Um, probably taking three months off when I between my private instrument and not kind of you know pushing through. I think that's probably you know and kind of trying to figure it out and not being down on myself for you know being wiped out and and kind of I think that was probably my my biggest disappointment. Biggest win of your career? Um, biggest win of my career. That that's. That's a tough one. Um, I would probably say uh, being in a position that I am right now and being fortunate to be out flying for my dad's company as, as his professional pilot and, and being in the position that I am and having the, the, the freedom and flexibility. I think that's, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Okay. And then let's see what else do I have. Piper Cessna. Oh, Cessna. Come on. <laughs> 141 training versus 61. 61 every day of the week. Favorite airline to fly on? Delta. And last one is if you give three tips for a future pilot, what would it be? Three tips. Um, if there's any, don't have any doubts, like do it. Like there's, there shouldn't be like, 
don't be like me that was kind of thinking, oh, I, I suck at math and I'm, I'm, you know, go for it, do it. Um, I'm, I'm a big thing of, I think glass makes it easier. And I think, uh, you know, the last thing would be is find someone that has your back, find a mentor, find someone that you can text at 10 o'clock at night that will answer that question about, you know, what is the critical, critical angle of attack or, you know, ha- find someone that has your back that's in your corner that you can have as a bit of a mentor. Cause I think that is a hugely beneficial thing. I love it. Those are good. Max, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It was a lot of fun to talk to you and, and share your, your journey and story. And I foresee us doing more podcasts in the future. Uh, it's a lot of fun talking with you. Uh, we can only talk about so much in an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. So there's many things that we didn't get the chance to touch on. And I, I can see us doing some more of these, maybe in flight one day, if uh, we can ever figure out a way to make that work. Uh, I'll buy an airline ticket and come out and meet you. We can do it. Uh, we'll go to Bermuda, right? <laughs> let's, let's do it. No, but seriously, thank you, Justin. I really appreciate you having me on. This was an honor and uh, let's. I'm excited for part two sometime. Absolutely. Had a lot of fun talking to you, man, and I appreciate it. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Aviation. that is a wrap of episode 148 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. Like I said earlier, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review. So close to 600. If you want to buy us a coffee and you want to support the show, go to buy me a coffee. The link should be down below. Um, but Aviation, I hope everyone's having a great day. I hope you're all getting ready for Christmas and I hope you're flying a lot because it's awesome. And we all love to fly and this year has just been crazy. So if you get a chance, go fly. I always say yes to fly. But Aviation, I hope you're all doing great. And as always, happy flying.